All right. Good to see you all this morning and good to hear all the excitement and everybody getting jacked up and excited about something other than uh, carnal stuff. And it's, uh, that's a real blessing uh, to be able to hear that and to see what's going on in your life. I want you to take your Bible, if you would, please, for just a moment. Come to 2 Corinthians. And uh, I've been asked a couple of questions, maybe more than a couple of questions, about hearing God's voice and listening to God's voice. And we're moving in that direction. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, when God speaks to me, what do I do and how do I respond and those kind of things. And so I want to try to cover some of that stuff here for you this morning and try to give you an idea. Uh, When Moses comes along, Moses is uh, out there uh, 40 years, he's been on the backside of the desert and the Lord speaks to him out of the burning bush. The Bible says, as you heard it last night, he turned aside to see because the bush was burned but not consumed and out of the bush came the voice. And then he approached the bush and he started getting instructions. But I want you to understand something. Moses wasn't looking for the bush. Moses wasn't looking for a calling. Now, if you want to write down something that's worth writing down, not because I said it, but because I was told this a long time ago, because this thing about the uh, seek, searching after, or seeking after, trying to find this elusive will of God in your life can get you in trouble. You want to maybe write this down. You find the will of God on the road to duty. You do what you're supposed to be doing. Gideon is over there in the book of Judges, around 5-6 there along the lines there. And Gideon's out there, and the Bible says he's threshing wheat. He's just threshing wheat. That means he's knocking the tops off the wheat. Some of you know about that. You farmers, you messed around with before. And he's throwing the wheat up in the air, and the grain comes down, and the chaff blows away. And the Lord says, Gideon, thy mighty man of valor. And then all of a sudden he speaks to him and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go tear your uh, daddy's altar down. And I want you to put up another altar and take your daddy's prized animals and sacrifice them. And I want you to get some people. And he gets ten guys out there, goes at nighttime, does what God tells him to do. That's long before he puts the fleeces out and does all the other things you heard about last night. And long before the Lord whittles down the amount of individuals that are in his army by the people that lap up and this and that and the other. And then takes a small army and destroys a big army. But you want to get a hold of this. It's a step-by-step process. It's not this epiphany where there's a choir full of angels that are up there singing and then all of a sudden I've walked into the will of God as some uh, wild imaginary thing like, Oh man, I'm in the will of God now. You find the will of God. You know what would be a strange thing? You'll find yourself right in the perfect will of God if you're just doing what you know to do. The next thing you know, you'll be teaching a class. You don't even realize a transition took place. I tried to give you the illustration yesterday, and I guess it probably bears repeating, but whenever you try your best to induce labor to a child, you bring a whole lot of uh, complications on the table that are better if you just wait until God does it. And as a young person, you can go ahead and set that mindset now. I'm going to do what I know to do today. What's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. You might not be here tomorrow. But there is something that's interesting. When Moses goes out there, Moses had a point in his time in his life where he made a choice to surrender. Abram, later on becomes Abraham, was the same way. Daniel was the same way. David was the same way. David wasn't born out there training sheep and uh, teaching, uh, training sheep, uh, 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 watching over sheep and those kind of things, being a shepherd. He never grew up thinking, I'm going to be the king, I'm going to be the king, I'm going to be the king. 
I mean, Joseph might have had an idea in the back of his mind something was going on. He had two dreams out there that wind up looking more like nightmares for nearly uh, 28 years before he winds up in the palace. But, you know, when he goes through that entire pathway that he's along the way, Joseph isn't sitting there when he's 12 years old going, I know where I'm headed. I'm gonna, one day I'm going to be the number two guy up there in Pharaoh's palace. It's about doing what I'm supposed to do today. Literally, just being faithful to do the little things. You say what? Like come to church, like read your Bible, like pray. If you'll be faithful in those things, you'll be surprised. God will find a place for you to do other things. You say why? Because your testimony bears up to it. So when we talk about these things that we're fixing to talk about here, I don't want to give you this idea that it's some uh, voice from heaven that's hollering down at you and, and telling you things. My calling will be different than your calling. My calling to preach, my calling to the ministry, and then my calling into being a pastor. They're all three different things that took place in my life at three different times in my life. And so as a result of that, I can't say that mine's going to be the same as yours. I don't know how God will call you. I can tell you this, it'll be unique to you. That means if you do the some of the things that I tell you to do, then you can expect the Lord to walk along with you one day, and the next thing you know, you're doing it, and then somebody will say, well, are you in the will of God? And you'll go, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. But it's not, I don't want to give you this, there's this big giant crescendo where you got to come down and let go and turn loose and just do what you learn to do. But if there was a secret, if there was a inside track. If there was one thing, and I was only allowed to give you one thing, uh, there is one thing, and it's uh, found in the word called surrender. And it's the most difficult thing you'll find yourself doing. If you're going to learn to put off the old man and put on the new man, that means I've got to surrender my old man and surrender up the way I want to do it. I've got to have the Gethsemane experience. It's what I call willing and waiting. If God were to deal with you this week about being a preacher and called to preach and all that thing, praise the Lord. You know what happened the first time I told my daddy? I said, I believe the Lord's calling me to preach. I believe I've heard from the Lord. It seems to be distinct. You know what my dad told me? Now, you're not going to like this. You're going to think it's crazy what a Baptist preacher would tell his son about being called to preach. I said, Dad, I believe the Lord's calling me. And he said, uh, take the phone off the hook. Now, see, that's contrary to what most people would tell you. You say, why? Because my dad knew I better make sure that God's calling me and I'm not just doing it because daddy was a preacher or because somebody thought I should be a preacher or because somebody else thought, well, don't you follow in the footsteps of your father and so on and so forth down the line. He said, take the phone off the hook. I remember about 3 o'clock in the morning, one morning, uh, the thing was just on me so much I couldn't hardly shake it, and I picked up the phone. They didn't have caller ID in those days and all that. I mean, back then they didn't even have a beeper, and so I called, the phone rang. My dad didn't even say hello. He said, what's up, bud? I said, Daddy, what do you do if he calls you on the intercom? He said, I guess you better answer that one, and he hung up. You say, what was that? That was my call into the ministry. I knew exactly what happened. He said, what did he do? He confirmed it with Scripture. I'm reading down through the Bible, and the Lord hit the thing, and it went off like a bell. I was like, okay, there you go. Now, that's my calling. He may not do it that way with you. Later on, the Lord called me to do something else. And I sat down there and I sat out with the old preacher. My dad was dead and gone. And I sat down. I drove over to sit down to see him intentionally, asked for some of his time, very courteous. I wasn't going to oh, just show up and say, hey, I need to talk to you. You know, I waited and I made an appointment and I sat down there and we're sitting there at the table. And I said, uh, listen, I feel like I should leave the sheriff's office and I need to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and so on and so forth. And he listened to me very, very kindly. And then he looked at me and some of you heard this story before, and he said, uh, pass the salt. 
And I said, oh, okay. I said, but sir, with all due respect, I, you know, paramilitary stuff, I'm not going to jump the chain of command. I said, sir, with all due respect, I, I, this, is a, this is a life-changing decision here. I mean, it's a big thing. I'm talking about packing up and moving and, you know, let somebody else have the church for three years and leave the sheriff's office and, you know, doing whatever I'm doing there and so on and so forth. And I said, sir, with all due respect, did you hear what I asked you? And he said, yeah, did you hear what I asked you? Pass the salt. Now, what he was trying to say to me there is, is that I can't determine the will of God for your life, and I can't tell you what to do, because if I try to tell you what to do when things get tough and when things get hard, if it's not God that called you, you know what will happen? You'll crumble like a house of cards. So what did I learn during that time? I learned a biblical principle. My life is not my own. I'm bought with a price and I'm to serve God. And most Christians are not going to get the two verses I'm fixing to tell you. They're two of the verses that people just leave completely out when it comes to the Christian life. If you want to know about God speaking to you, you have to have a surrendered mentality. You have to have an idea that God can do with you whatever He wants to do with you. If He wants to put you in prison, if He wants to put you in a pit, if He wants to send you out there and have you persecuted, have you put in a jail cell, if he wants you to be a preacher, if he wants you to be a wife, if he wants you to be a husband, if he wants you to be a plumber, he wants you to be a landscaper, he wants you to be an architect, he wants you to be a lawyer, he wants you to be a doctor, your life's not yours. Or forget about trying to find his will because you know what you'll find? Sometimes God will give you the desires of your heart and then he'll say, okay, now I'd like for you to do this for me. Now, you have to be willing to do what I'm fixing to show you here. If there was anything, I'm not saying it's a secret, I'm saying, but if there was one thing I could tell you, it's the most missing thing in the Christian life nowadays. And it's not surrender of your money and surrender of your house and surrender of the, it's the surrender of your heart. It's saying, I'm doing this right here. The Lord can step in and turn me at 90 degrees anytime He chooses to turn me in 90 degrees. And I have to accept that that's what God wants for my life. And whether I like it or don't like it, I put on a smile and say, yes, sir. And I do exactly what he tells me to do. And if you don't do that, you get in this situation where you're always looking for the will of God. But you'll be surprised. You're looking really hard. You've been looking for years because you're trying to find his will to line up with your will. It doesn't work that way, youngins. It's my will lining up with his will. I have to learn to submit myself. The terrible word nowadays. You have a hard time obeying your parents. Forget about obeying God. God's not going to jump the chain. Fix the thing with your parents and then God may speak to you. You have a hard time with authority in your life. Well, then you're going to have a hard time surrendering to the Lord. Are you right there in 2 Corinthians? Let me show you a couple of things here. Chapter 5. Now, I'm not getting on to you, but I've been asked. Well, preacher, what do I do? I think the Lord's called me to preach. Okay. Are you willing to do what he asked you to do? Yes, I'm willing. Okay, then be willing to wait. Well, I'm willing right now. Okay. Are you willing to wait? Well, no, I mean, I, I mean I, I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering now. Okay, good. Surrender now and then wait. And that's hard to do, though, isn't it? I mean, I want an answer now. The Lord said, okay. You know what happened with the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul goes over there and Paul's willing to walk away from a long career. He's probably the top dog, the big dog, chief of the police, or he's at least the district attorney and all that. He's got the power of life and death in his hands. He's trained at the feet of one of the most well-known Perry Masons of his day, uh, Agabus over there. He's got all the credentials. He's got all the leeway. He's known he's a Pharisee above the Pharisees, above the law, blameless of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he is set apart. He's got the pedigree. He's got the generics. He's got the genetics. He's got everything that he could possibly possibly have right there. And Paul said, I count it all but dung that I might win him. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection through the fellowship of his suffering. Paul said, I counted all but dung. Doesn't matter. Paul didn't get to use any of that stuff. He said, why? He went to a bunch of heathen, barbarian Gentiles. How does somebody do that? The secret word is surrender. How does David go out there with a sling and a rock and go against a giant when the entire army of the nation of Israel won't go out there against him? Because they're worried about their life. How does David do that? Surrender. David didn't walk out there thinking, I know how I'm going to fix this and I know how I'm going to win. He went out there in the name of the Lord and he said, you know what? I figure if I die, it would be better to die than it would be to listen to this guy. Three Hebrew children, you know what they do? They're surrendered. You say, why? When push came to shove, they said, we're going to put you in the fiery furnace. He said, okay, well, if you put us in the fiery furnace, we perish and God's God. And if we don't perish, then God's God. It doesn't make any difference to us. Our mind's made up. Our lives are not our own. David, Daniel purposed in his heart not to eat the king's meat, knowing that it could cost him his life. Why? My life's not my own. I'm in the Lord's hands. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do to get your hands off the wheel. I mean, if there was ever a place for Jesus to take the wheel, that's the place for Jesus to take the wheel. You say, where do you have, where do you? He ain't your co-pilot. Get in the trunk right there and let him drive you where he wants to drive you. But it's hard. Don't you want to play the GPS system? Now, Lord, I think you should go here, and I think you should go there, and I think you should fix this, and I think you should fix that. And if you turn here, and you turn left there, and you turn right there, make a U-turn, you missed your destination. And, Lord, now this is where I'd like for you to take me this way. No, your wills, your wishes, your ways, they go by the way of the American Indian. You know what you say, Lord? Not my own, it's yours. You take it. You do with it what you want. How do you think Abraham was able to go up there and put that boy on the altar and be willing to put that knife to his throat and get ready to slit his throat before God said, now I know you fear me? You think that was an easy thing? I've heard the preachers preach over that. Oh, well, you know, he knew that he believed the Lord for a resurrection. It wasn't a big deal. Okay, you go put your boy on the altar. The boy whose sun sets, rises and sets right there. Who's, I mean, he just is everything you could possibly be. So what happened? He got between him and the Lord, and the Lord said, Hey, you got a problem. And you know what he did? You say, What is that? Surrender, Lord, not mine. Jesus Christ goes. He says to the Father, Anyway, this cup can pass from me. And the Father said, Nope, no way. Can't let it pass from me. He said, Okay, not, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Surrender. The Bible doesn't say anybody took the Lord's life. The Bible said he gave his life. Now, I'm just trying to tell you something. I've waited to long enough. I can't wait to tell you any longer. It's the hardest thing in the world because you're raised in a generation where everybody is a winner and everybody's supposed to be on top and everybody's supposed to have it your way and go the way of Frank Sinatra, who's probably, I don't know of a testimony, burning in hell because he did it his way. If you want to have peace in your mind and in your heart and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it requires that magical word called surrender. And nobody wants to do it. That's why you struggle with sin. That's why you struggle with direction. That's why when messages along these lines come up, you're hesitant to move because it's like, well, what's it going to cost me? It doesn't matter what the cost is. The issue is, will you surrender? You don't say, well, I'll surrender, but what's the cost? That's not surrender. Surrender is, I'll surrender at all costs. Well, I need God to do something with me. Well, he might not do much with you. When he came to Moses, I'll come to the passage in a second. When he came up there to Moses and up there backside of the desert for 40 years, he's an 80-year-old man. And he's got a wife and a couple of kids over there and he's the heir to the throne over there and he's going to wind up inheriting from that old Midianitish priest a, a whole bunch of things as well as uh, being politically well-known and that kind of a deal. And he comes over there and when the Lord says to him, hey, I want you, you know what Moses immediately says? Stutter. And the Lord said, I don't care. I knew that when I called you. Moses said, but how will they believe me? 
And the Lord said, tell him I sent you. He doesn't, he doesn't give up until finally Moses says, okay, I'm gone. And in spite of his inability, God still used him. He said, I'll use Aaron to speak for you. If you can't speak, he can understand your stuttering and so on and so forth. Moses said, well, let me up off the mat, man. Let Aaron do it. Let Joshua do it. Let somebody else do it. I'm fine back here tending sheep. The Lord said, no, I want you. Now, if God ever does that favor for you, God's got a purpose for your life. Your life is not a big absolute zero. You got saved, God's got something for you to do. What is it? I got no idea. I can tell you some things in the Bible that God will definitively tell you is His will for your life, but you can expect that there's not going to be any pressure put on you to do something extraordinary until you're willing to do the ordinary. Extraordinary, we're always, well, when do I get the spotlight? When do I get to do this? Some of you, you can't sing like these girls can sing. You can't play instruments like them, but there's things you can do they can't do. You say, what is it? You get God's hand on you, you'd be surprised. You can be a blessing to somebody without even having all the talents in the world. Uh, Herbie was that way down at my dad's church in Chattanooga or up there around over wherever, uh, over there in Tennessee. Herbie's over there. You heard me talk about him. Knock-kneed and pigeon-toed, mentally retarded, elevator didn't go to the top, a couple of fries short of a happy meal. I mean, just, just a uh, uh, you know, middle-aged man, 40-something years old when I knew him and all twisted up, sat on the second row right over there. The Every time I was there at church, he was there. Rain, sleet, snow, sun. He had to walk. All over town he walked, collecting newspapers and putting his $10 in for his offering and different things like that along the way. He said, but Herbie wasn't talented. Yeah, but if anybody ever had God on him, he did. He'd bet he's more faithful than some of you. He didn't have, he didn't ever got the ability as a little boy to play ball. He didn't get the ability to play soccer. He didn't have the ability to, to be on the swim team or to be on the football team or the baseball team. He definitely wasn't going to be Miss Popular for or Mr. Popular or most likely to succeed. He wouldn't have been in the in the, the annual at the end of the year. You certainly wouldn't want him showing back up for the grand reunion. But I guarantee you there's a grand reunion. They'll be glad to see him out when he get up there. But you say, what did he do? Just faithful. Just faithful. I remember my dad saying to me one time something I thought was one of the most ridiculous things I ever heard in my life. He said, I wish I had a hundred Herbies. I get it now. You say, what? He's like Mary. He just did what he could do. Now, the secret thing that you're going to find here or that, that I'd like to just bring to your attention is, is you can forget about trying to find the will of God until you cross this road first. And this road first has nothing to do with talent. It has nothing to do with faithfulness or anything else. It has to do with surrender. It has to do with after you got saved, taking your life back and then turning it over and saying, Lord, now you take it. That's tough, isn't it? You say, well, I got my whole life in front of me and I got rock and roll ahead of me, man, and I got to sow my oats, man, and I got to get out and I got to do and I got to see and I got to be and I do all that kind of stuff. When I get back and get old like you and can't do nothing else and then I'll think about serving the Lord, you may be dead. Rapture might happen. Or you might make it. But the youth camp this week is, is supposed to be talking about God speaking to you. God speaks to surrendered people. You want to hear from God on a regular basis? Surrender your life. Is it alright if God were to make you sick? What if God were to give you cancer? Be alright with you? What if God were to give you some other kind of a disease? Is that okay with you? Well, other people don't have a disease. Well, no, you're God's special kid. God figured you could handle the pressure. Well, I just soon not have it. See, you find out you're not as surrendered as you think you are. Oh, I'm surrendered to service. Well, we're not talking about service right now. 
I'm talking about being surrendered to God's will for your life. What is God's will for your life? I couldn't tell you. Maybe it's to lie in the bed like uh, somebody that I know, Miss Penny, after years of faithfully serving the Lord and taking care of people, she goes over there to the nursing home, kind of in and out of her mind and stuff, rolling around in there trying to minister to people along that way, and died almost forgotten and forsaken. She would tell you right now if she was right here, if she was sitting, she used to sit right back over there. She'd sit there and say, tell them about hail, preacher, while I'd be preaching. And I'd tell them about halo. She said, for the love of the Lord, preacher, tell them about the love of God, you know. That old woman was like that for years and years and years until she just faded away. You say, what was that? Surrender. God can do whatever he wants to do with me. You mean give you a cure for bitterness? I got the cure for bitterness. You want to know what it is? It's surrender. You're bitter about something because something happened to you that you think you didn't deserve. But if your life's not your own and God saw fit to allow you to go through that, you know what just happened? Bitterness went out the window. God saw fit to let me go through it. I guess he's got a lesson in it. All things work together for good to them, love God, then I'm called according to his purpose. I love him, I can tell you that. And I'm glad that he saved me so he can do with me whatever he wants to do with me. And I'm going to take that persecution cheerfully instead of griping all the time like God gave me the bad end of the deal. You ever look at what he did to Apostle Paul? Mike and back, man. I mean, the Apostle Paul writes all those epistles there for you to learn from and stuff like that, and you look at what he goes through in the ministry, you'd think, man, I mean, he must have been a, lit a, a bad life, been a bad cat, because on a regular basis, it looks like the Lord's getting on to him. No, you know what Paul said? Paul said, I glory in tribulation. How's Paul say that in 2 Corinthians 12? Can I tell you how? He surrendered. You don't see that anymore. In the old school days, years ago, and so on and so forth, a preacher would get up there and they'd preach this stuff right here and people would fall under conviction. But listen, the answer to your problems in life, the biggest answer after you get saved is, is i got to surrender my life. I want to cuss. I can't. My life's not my own. I want to fornicate. I can't. My life is not my own. I want to drink and do drugs. I can't. My life is not my own. I want to be crabby and irritable and I want to be a smart aleck and a, a brat. And I, I can't. My life's not my own. I'm surrendered to Him. But boy, who likes to talk about surrender? Nobody likes to throw up the white flag. Look at this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look in verse number 14. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 14. I'd like for you, if you would, if nothing else, if you don't get anything else... And in, uh, in this next uh, few days here, I'd like for you to build a fence around this and say, Youth Camp 2023, the bird with the word, right? Look in verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. We're doing it for the Lord. You heard that last night. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You ought to be able to build a fence around that. You know what that tells you? Come to Luke chapter number 14. That Bible tells you right there that you know what you ought to do? You ought to live for the one that died for you. I hear people all the time say, you know, well, you know, the Lord did so much for me. Okay, great. I believe that. He did do a lot for you. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The Lord really helped me out. The Lord did this and the Lord did that and the Lord did the other. Amen. Praise the Lord. He sure did. And what are you doing for him? Do you feel any kind of indebtedness at all that he died for you? 
was buried and raised again the third day, went through hell for you. Do you feel any, do you feel any like, you know, maybe I should return something? You know what he doesn't work? He puts that passage in the Bible about your salvation not being of works and so on and so forth. He's not impressed with your works as if you're trying to pay something back. You know what he wants? He wants your heart. He wants you to say, Lord, I'm not my own. You direct me. I'm not smart enough to direct my life. I don't know enough to direct my life. Boy, doesn't that fly in the place of conventional wisdom. I don't have enough sense to pick the right mate. Lord, you pick them. I'm not the one that has to go around. I have kids come all the time. Preacher, what do you think about so-and-so? I don't know. I don't have to clean up after them. I don't have to live with the repercussions of that. You decide. Well, I mean, what do you think? Oh, I can see some things there that might be some flaws and stuff like that, but you're so blinded by lust or what you call love that you're going to go ahead and do whatever you want to do anyway. You're just looking for me to condone it. Have you asked God about it? Well, if you've asked God about it, why are you asking me? If God told you green light, then go for it. If God told you red light, don't ask me and think I'm going to give you green light. But we're talking about a hard subject, aren't we? I mean, you know, and there goes your career. Yeah, I'm talking about you put it on the altar. Lord, I mean, I'd, I'd like to be a lawyer, like to be an architect, like to be a policeman, like to be a, a doctor, I'd like to be whatever. Uh, but Lord, I'm putting it on the altar. I won't be it unless you want me to be. What would you like me to be, Lord? Lord, I'd like to be married and have some children and so on and so forth, you know, and I got all my verses and this and that and the other. But Lord, you know what? Uh, maybe you don't want me to do that right now. Maybe it'll distract. Maybe the timing's wrong. Maybe things are wrong. All three of those last temptations of the Lord in the wilderness, every one of those are biblical things that are supposed to take place. They're the right thing at the wrong time. Timing is everything. Some of those things aren't supposed to take place for nearly 2,000 years before. And the devil's tempting with something in the scripture that God made a promise was going to come true. And the Lord tells him, not the right time. You wanted to put that on the altar? I don't know. Lord, I want this car. I want that car. I want this woman. I want that man. I want this. I want that. Lord, I'm going to put all my wants, all my wishes, all my desires. I'm going to say, Lord, you tell me what's best for me. That's tough, isn't it? That's a hard thing to do. People will think you're absolutely nuts. You get ready to walk away from a profession you've been at for well over 20 years and you get ready to walk away from it, I'll guarantee you 100 to 1, they'll say, you've lost your mind, you're crazy, you're nuts. Well, if you don't see eternity, you do look nuts. Your security is being put in Him instead of your 401K. That's a big deal when you get old. And you're thinking, well, you know why? Not my own. My, I don't know. The Lord said do it. I got to do it. I don't care if everybody understands it. But not till you cross that road. One of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got was from my daddy when he told me to take the phone off the hook. You say, why? I had to know it was God calling me because, man, you talk about ridicule. And that's not for everybody. It was for me. Looking, if you will, please, in Luke chapter number 14. Well, let me just, let me do this. Let me jump over here and show you something else before we get into that. Um, look at Isaiah chapter number 55. Isaiah 55. I didn't realize it was already running so late. Now, uh, I, I want to tell you something. I, I'm calling you kids. I don't mean any disrespect for it, but it's imperative that you have the right foundation, the right thought process. And I'm preaching to you like I'd preach to adults. As a matter of fact, I'm probably preaching to you straighter than that. Uh, just because I, I wish somebody had told me this when I was your age. 
I would have I learned some things and I would have done a few things a little bit differently along the way. I mean, I got it taught by my daddy early, but I didn't get it as early as I wished I'd have gotten it. And one of the things is, is that if I'm going to do all to the glory of God and I'm to glorify God in my body and spirit, which are His, it requires something of me and my mind, and that is that I'm surrendered. Jim Lentz was one of the dearest friends I've ever had in my entire life, one of the closest friends in the ministry I've ever had in my entire life. And we did a lot of things together, but for whatever reason, the Lord knit our hearts together, and uh, we just had a, we had a great time together. And I was talking to him one night late. It was about 2.30 in the morning. We were preaching at a meeting somewhere together, and we had adjoining rooms, and we opened the door thing in there between. And uh, he couldn't sleep, and I couldn't sleep, and I'm laying there and all that. And he said, he clicked the light on there, and he said, hey, P, he said, how are you doing? I said, fine. And we started talking a little bit. I said, hey, man, let me ask you something. I said, um, tell me what it was like in Vietnam. He didn't talk about it much because he was in real, real bad stuff. The guys that have really been in it don't really talk about it much. And, uh, and he said, well, he said, you know, he said, back in those days, he said, there's a couple of things I did learn. He said, I learned that even when I got short, I mean, you're getting toward the end, he said, you get too careful. I put that in my mind a little bit because I've seen the same thing happen where I, what I used to do. And he said, you know, the other thing I learned, he said, I learned that the whole time I was there, I already considered myself dead. And he said, I think that, he said, I think that's why I survived. He said, beside God looking after me. And so Jim was lost when he was over there. He's an 18-year-old kid running and gunning over there and doing all kind of things that you have to do in war. And he comes back over there, and a lot of his friends didn't make it back from over there. Jim made it back. But you know what he said? He said, you know what? The most effective soldiers are soldiers that think they're already dead. They're just waiting for the bullet to catch up to their mindset. Well, you know what the Apostle Paul says? Paul says, I die that's not physical heartbeat dead that's I die to myself my will my ways my wishes and God can change orders anytime he wants to and when he comes down there I pop my heels together and I salute yes sir no problem yes sir I'll carry it out sir that's the Christian life now you want a successful Christian life and walk lockstep with Jesus Christ and that's the secret to it it's learning to surrender but you got to understand something about him he doesn't think like you and I think. So how do you know that? Well, it happens to be a verse in the Bible about it. Isaiah chapter 55. Pick it up in verse number 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Why? Thoughts drive you. Let him return unto the Lord and he will give mercy upon, have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Now let me pause there for a second. Some of you kids this week, you're struggling with sin. You got besetting sins, you got problems, you got difficulties, you got things going on in your life and you're focusing on all your failures and faults and things like that. Listen, you come down and you ask the Lord to forgive you and you ask him to have mercy on you and the Bible says you don't have to get resaved that he's faithful and just forgive your sins. Now believe what he said and then get up and go on and stop wallowing in it. Okay, you messed up. If you got jail time coming, then suck it up and take your jail time. If you got to go to court over it, fine. Go to court and get it done. Get it over, get it behind you. If you got to do summer school because you flunked out because you skipped classes or whatever, then do summer school and get it done. And then if you're going to wind up not making it into the 10th grade or the 11th grade, then repeat the grade and shut your mouth, put your head down, realize that's a repercussions for a stupid decision. But ladies and gentlemen, the devil wants to continually take you back to all your failures and keep you looking back so long that you never look forward. Listen, fess up and get up and go on. 
This whole thing is not about getting you to give up your cigarettes or give up your liquor or give up your crack or whatever else it is that you're doing and all the foolishness on the internet and all the game playing and all the Fortnite and the combat games and all that kind of junk like that. That's kid stuff. This is about I messed up, I fessed up, I'm getting up, I'm going on. Anybody that's around you always trying to take you back to what you did and what you used to be, they're trying to dominate. You know what the Lord said? I set you free from that. Now let's go. Well, the Lord, I messed up. I mean, I just, I just messed up so bad. I, I'm just continuing to struggle. Okay, I'm going to tell you how to fix that. Yes, ask me to forgive you and then surrender your life to mine. You get over there to the book of Luke, you know what happens? You find there in the book of Luke, the Lord comes up to the boy and he said, Hey, you follow me? And the Lord said, Oh, yeah, man, hallelujah, glory to God, praise the Lord. I definitely want to follow you, Lord. I mean, I could follow you. I can be one of these apostles, man. Are you kidding me? Yes, sir, absolutely. And the Lord says to him, Strange thing, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You mean I'm not going to have any real estate holdings? No place to call home, sweet home? I'm not going to be able to go home and have the family reunions and all that other kind of stuff? The Lord said, No, uh, this is about coming and living for the kingdom to come, not the kingdom here and now. Oh, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it was going, that's cost me a little much. Fellow comes up to him and he says to him, he said, uh, he said, Lord, I'll follow you. And he said to him, you'd be willing to follow me? He said, sure, man, I can't wait to follow you. And he said, okay, well, good, well, let's go. And he said, well, let me first go back and bury my dad, my father. And the Lord said, let the dead bury the dead. Let's go. You say, what? Family pulled him back. He wasn't surrendered. Elisha goes over and says, bids farewell to his parents and kills his oxen and, and burns his plowshare and all that other stuff and goes on and follows. No record at all that he ever went back home. No record at all he even returned. I'm not telling you don't go back to your house and have a reunion. I'm talking about surrender. That final boy comes up there and he said, well, Lord, these two guys, they're kind of washouts and things like that, but I'll follow you. That's no problem at all. I mean, I'm surrendered. Absolutely. Praise the Lord. I hear you calling, Lord. Here I come, Lord. Here I come. And he comes running down there. Oh, pass me not, old gentle Savior, and hear my humble cry. I hear you, Lord. I'm coming. I'm coming. Absolutely, Lord. Okay, good. Let's go. Well, I need to run back to the house real quick and check with the friends I've been hanging out with, you know, and, and see what their opinion is. Let them know where I'm at and tell them my email's going to change and give them my new phone number and let them know I'm going to have a difficulty with this and that and the other and the Lord walks off and leaves him. Get around over there in the gospels there around Luke chapter number 9 and here comes a boy. He's, a, he's got him on a three-piece suit man probably driving a Bentley. He pulls up there at the Lord. A big shot jumps out throws the, the valet uh, the, the car keys and a $100 bill. Says go park my car. Don't get it scratched or anything like that. And he walks over to the Lord and he said Lord you know I'll follow you. And the Lord said really you want to follow me? Yeah, absolutely Lord I'll, I'll be one to follow you. He said well if you kept the law he said I've kept the law from my youth up. And the Lord said, well, okay then. Then you must get it. You must be totally surrendered. I'll tell you what you do. Go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and let's go. Boy, he hit that guy right there. You say, what did he hit him on? Because he was rich? That wouldn't matter at all what it was. He thought that right there was his. Go sell all you have and give it to the poor, but you get to follow me. Uh, uh-uh, that's my status. That's who I am. I've earned all that. That's, that's mine. If I give that up, man, whew, just to follow you, yeah, you're not surrendered. You say what? See, 
Now listen, you get bound up in sin, you're going to sin. You're going to mess up. That's just a fact in life. And as you get older, some of the things that you might have done when you were younger, they dissipate. It's not because you're any less a sinner. It's just because you're not. Listen, old people don't want to dance anymore, but it's more because they're worried about breaking something than because they're worried about their reputation. But you start growing up, you know what you wind up? Some of those things wind up and now your sins become inward. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, let us cleanse ourselves of both the flesh and the spirit. Sins turn inward. You willing to take that? Lord, not my own. I bought with a price. How come bitterness is reigning you? How come gossip's reigning over you? How come evil communication's reigning over you? How come you can't get, wait to get back and get on your phone and text and all this other kind of stuff? Don't tell me evil communication doesn't have. You say, what are you? You're not surrendered. You ain't going to hear the will of God or you think you're surrendered? The Lord says, hey, let's go take the hill. Uh, I don't know. I like Caleb in the Old Testament. Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb, Joshua, I mean two peas in the pod, man. And they get ready to go in and take the land of the giants and they have to wait 40 years for all them rotten people to die off before Joshua and Caleb are going to go in there. And he comes up there and he says, hey, boss, I want to ask you a question. And he said, Caleb, you don't have to call me boss. You know, we've been buds for years. He said, what do you want? He said, man, I want that mountain. He said, hey, you know you're an old man now. You realize you're 40 years older than we went in the first time. <laughs> There's a bunch of giants over there entrenched in that mountain. And they got the high ground. I mean, that's the hard part of it. Why don't you let me give you a plane or something where you can come in from the top and get them that way? And Josh, uh, Caleb says, no, sir, boss. I want the hardest mountain there is to take, man. Give me that mountain. Well, you're old. You don't have the ability. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing, Caleb, what? He was sold out and surrendered. You know what happened with a boy named Esau? Esau comes along. I got two more verses in the passage here. I'm just giving you a little bit off the cream off the top here. And when I, uh, uh, Esau comes in there, he despised, the Bible says, his birthright. You know what he did? Instead of being sold out, he sold out. Instead of doing what God wanted him to do, you know what he said? I don't want that stinking birthright. I'd rather have a, bunch, a mess of pottage for one meal. You've got to be kidding me. You know what the Lord's showing that little price tag for that thing is? It wasn't because he couldn't have waited. He wouldn't have died if he'd missed that one meal. There's certainly somebody around there had a piece of bread or something for him to eat. It shows his despising what God wanted him to do. And in the first opportunity, you know what he said? It ain't worth nothing but a bowl of pottage to me, man. I could care less about that thing. You can have it. Who cares? Yeah, but that ain't the end of the story. You get over there to the end, two things happen. Jacob have I loved and Esau have I. You know what Esau's problem was? He was sold out to himself. He wasn't sold out to the commitment of the birthright. You get over in the book of Hebrews, you know what it says? And not as that vain person there like Esau who sought repentance carefully with tears but could find no place. You say what? Sold out to the world. A red man, an earthy man, a worldly man. A manly man, hunt and fish and do all that kind of stuff, winds up being pretty wealthy and does okay. Yeah, but what's hanging over him the whole time? Esau of I hated. The Lord never removed that. You say, why? He made the wrong spiritual decision. Is this too much for you? Is it over your head? Is it a little bit too hard for you? It's like, man, good night. I mean, you're kind of turning the screws on me. I'm not getting on to you. I'm talking about the hard. I told you it's hard. You know what's a hard thing to do? I surrender. We used to sing that song, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. And for a while there, I had to sing, I surrender some, I surrender some, uh, some to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender some. I'll pick what I surrender, I'll pick what I surrender. All to Jesus, my will for His, my way for His, 
my thoughts for his. You know what I realized? I said every time I sung that song, I was a liar. The Lord said, do you surrender all? How about giving me how you're feeling toward me for letting your daddy die? How about giving to me what you feel about letting Jim die at 54 years of age? Well, Lord, that's different. You know, everybody's that way. I thought you were surrendered to me. There's an element here I know, bud, you don't know. Now, see, I take this stuff serious. I don't think it's a joke. I don't think it's funny. I don't think, I don't think it's a... I think it's a secret to live in a, a victorious Christian life. I'm tired of all this fluff. It makes me so mad I could spit when I see this stuff on TV and all these YouTube preachers that you watch all the time and you're enamored with because they're talking about how to be successful and how to do this. And I, I don't hear one cotton-picking one of them telling you about how to be successful as a Christian by surrendering. It's always get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Like there's some secret. There ain't no secret. The secret to being in the fellowship of the Lord is Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> I mean, not when I'm fixing to run off a cliff. Take it, Lord. Look at these next two verses here. The Bible says this in verse number uh, 8. For my thoughts are what? Are you with me? Isaiah 55, look in verse 8. For my thoughts are what? Not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now when the Lord comes along there, Genesis chapter number 12, when the Lord comes along there and he causes Moses, he's the one that picks the path for Moses. What was Moses doing? I told you, he's out there tending sheep. When the Apostle Paul gets called in Acts chapter number uh, 9, uh, he's out there doing what he is supposed to be doing, at least in his mind. And the Lord comes along, knocks him off the horse and calls him into the ministry, gives him a choice as to whether or not he wants to serve. And he chooses to make that uh, to, to go ahead and do the service for the Lord there. He does the same thing with all those boys I mentioned to you. Gideon, Daniel, Matthew, Peter. What's Peter doing? Fishing. What's Matthew doing? Tax collecting. What's the Lord do? He comes along there. He finds a farmer by the name of Amos. He said, come here, I'll use you. He goes to Elijah. You don't know anything except he's Elijah the Tishbite. He comes from Tish. What was he doing? I have no idea. Now you have individuals like Jonah in the Bible. He comes to Jonah and said, I got a job for you. Yes, sir, Lord, what'd you have me to do? He said, I want you to go over there and cry out into Nineveh. He said, Lord, I got to catch a boat and get to about a couple, 300 miles away from where we're going. I, I need to get out of here, man. I'm not going to, I, I, I mean, I'll go preach for you, Lord, but not there. Jonah wasn't surrendered. It doesn't even look like Jonah surrendered even after he went to Whale Puke University. He gets thrown up there, preaches an eight-word message and turns the entire town, including the animals, over and they wind up doing right for a while. I mean, it goes south after a little while and Jonah's sitting up there, man, and he is so mad and the Lord said, hey, these people don't know their right hand for their left hand. Don't you think I ought to have mercy on And Jonah just sits there. He ends it with a question. He ends it with a question because he's kind of like, well, are you going to be Jonah or not? Yes, Lord, you know what? You're right to be merciful even if it wasn't my reputation. Jonah's reputation never got surrendered. Jonah's like, Burnham, I don't have a problem telling the judgment of God. What if you say to Burnham and God says, I'm going to show him mercy. How about that? You know what I believe in your life? I don't believe you should be gracious or merciful to anybody any more than God's been to you. I really don't. I don't think you should give them any more rope than God's given you. Not a bit. I mean, holding them accountable. The same way God's held you accountable. Look, if you will, please, in Genesis. Now, you understand this about a calling. Just because you're called, it's no escape from sin. 
Genesis chapter number 12, the individuals I'm going to deal with here to try to show you some things about people that are in the will of God, you get this idea that once I'm in the will of God, I don't have to worry about being tempted by sin anymore. Well, that's not true. Genesis 12, that'll be in the first book in your Bible. Look in verse number 9. The Bible said, And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous unto the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save you alive. And then he goes on to say in verse number 13, You know what he says? Tell them you're my sister. Why? So they don't kill me. Sure exposes her. You say, but isn't he the father of all living? Abraham, Abram, and he isn't the father of Jews and the Gentiles. And isn't he a great, and isn't he called the friend of God? And isn't he the one the Lord takes him up there on the mountaintop in Genesis chapter number 15? And he offers the sacrifices and finds out the will. And isn't it Isaac that winds up being born to him? And doesn't he sacrifice Isaac in Genesis chapter number 22? And doesn't God talk about him on a regular basis? And uh, isn't people that, you know, we're the children of Abraham and so on and so forth? Yeah, the same guy. Just because you surrender doesn't mean that your flesh is not going to keep giving you a fit. It even bothered one of the first patriarchs that was ever around. Take your Bible and come a little bit further over here. Let me show you a boy by the name of Moses. Look in the book of uh, Exodus. Exodus chapter 2. I'll just give you a couple of these. These are God's patriarchs. But what you'll see, I won't have probably time to get to it today, but you know what you're going to wind up seeing? You're going to wind up seeing that at the end of all things, they're going to go back to that level of surrender, and there's going to be a time when they hit that great wall of trial, trouble, and testing, and tribulation, that they go back and they come to this realization, you know something? Uh, this life's not mine anyways, and i got to just trust the Lord. Every single one of these people I'll show you, I'll show you their key is they recognize they messed up when they fulfilled their will instead of God's will. And God's still talking to them. Are you in the book of Exodus? Look in chapter number 2. You know this story right here. I can go ahead and tell it to you. It's here in my Bible somewhere. Look in verse 11. Came to pass in those days, Moses was grown, and he went down to his brethren, and he looked to his burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting the Hebrew, one of his brethren, and he, and, uh, he uh, looked uh, this way and that way. What's he doing? He's planning something. I mean, he sees what's going on, and then he looks to see if anybody's looking. You know what he does? He winds up killing a guy. That's the guy that winds up leading out the children of Israel. That's the guy that winds up getting the Ten Commandments given to him by the finger of God, written on stone, tablets of stone. That's the one that after he breaks the tablets of stone, he goes back up there, and the Lord writes the thing again. It's the same one that went out there, and he hit the rock, and the water came forward, and then he's supposed to speak to it. He didn't. He hit the rock again and sinned, and the Lord let that happen. He still had to pay the repercussions, but you know what I'll show you eventually? I'll show you where Moses, I'll show you where Abram, I'll show you where these other two fellows I'm going to show you in just a minute. I'll show you that doesn't mean sinless perfection, but I'll show you what brings them back is they realized um, lost that spirit of surrender. I thought it was about me. 
Moses gets in there. He gets so mad with the people, man. He said, why'd you give me these people? And why'd you do this? And why'd you do that? I mean, there's a bunch of rebellious jerks, man. He said, if it was up to me, I'd kill the whole lot of them. Let you sort them out. I'm done. I'm through. I'm finished. Take me out of this thing. I'm over and done with. And the Lord said, you're making a little bit too much about you, Moses. I didn't ask you to do this for you. You're serving me. You're like the pipe in the wall that brings the water forth. But you're not the spigot and you're not the source. You're just water running through there. You know what that requires? That requires the ultimate surrender. I've got to be willing to say, Lord, have your own way. Have your own way. Yeah, your own way. Wouldn't it be an odd thing? You go back to camp. What did you do? Oh, I surrendered and the Lord could have his way in my life. Whatever he wants to do. But what would you do that for? I'll bet you even some of your parents, you know what I bet you they'll say to you? Now, why would you do something stupid like that? I mean, you can go to a Bible school, you know, after you finish college and after you've got a career and after you're married and have a few kids. Why would you go to the mission field? I mean, there's a mission field in your backyard. Well, can't you just pass out tracks and stay home? Called me to be a missionary. Got to prepare. Got to go to school. Got to get ready. Got to go on deputation. Got to get money. I got a burden for over there. It's calling me to preach. You're too young to preach, man. You can't preach. What do you mean preach? You're not, hey, just calling me. It means he's setting me apart. The calling is not the enabling, if we get a chance to get to that. The calling is, is I surrender. That's step number one. What do you do then? I'm waiting. I'm sitting on the bench. All I know is he's called me. What do I do now? Wait. Hard thing to wait though, isn't it? Don't you get in a hurry sometimes? Sometimes they get difficulties. Just look quickly over at 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. You remember old uh, David in 2 Samuel chapter 11? Brother Joe, about six or seven till, is that good? Maybe five more minutes? I can't see your hands. About five minutes? Okay, all right. 2 Samuel. Is this boring y'all to death? 2 Samuel chapter number uh, 11. We talked about this a little bit last night. Now, I, I don't know about you, but of all the things that a great king could have penned about him, I sure would hate to have this story penned about me for people to read for generations and out through eternity. You realize that book's going to last forever, right? You know what people are going to know about David even after God's fixed everything? That story. You going to tell me that David wasn't a king in Israel? You going to tell me that David wasn't one of God's friends? You know what David said about God? David said about God, his gentleness, God's gentleness hath made me great. David went out and beat a bear and a lion. Nothing much said about it until it comes time to face Goliath. He goes out there and faces Goliath. He's a known warrior. He goes out and he kills 200 men as a dowry for his wife and so on and so forth. I mean, a real warrior, man. Had a close friend by the name of Jonathan and that kind of thing and shows him uh, uh, mercy and kindness and all a little bit later on down there. You say, what happened to him? He winds up making a mess here. Why, if you go a whole lot further, you'd think he'd know better. He tells Joab the number of the, the troops there in Israel, and God killed 70,000 people because he decided he killed more people because of his pride than he did for his adultery and murder. 
because of his pride. And you know what he had to do? He had to live with it. Just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean you can't still sin. Just because you've surrendered to God doesn't mean the fight's over. That's why Paul said, I die daily. Paul's up there one time, he's up against the wall, and they got him on trial. And a fellow walks up there and smacks him. And he says, the Lord smite thee, you whited wall. And the Lord said, now watch it, boy. He might deserve to be smacked, but that's not how you're supposed to behave. And he gets on to him and corrects him. You're here for my glory. I'll tell you what we'll do. I'm going to stop there. If you'll come in tomorrow morning, if you feel like coming tomorrow morning, I guess you have to come tomorrow morning. <laughs> that's kind of a bad thing. I think, oh, they must really want to be here. No, we have to be here. <laughs> If you come tomorrow morning, I'll show you how God takes all those things that occurred in their life and in spite of even after they were called and after they were surrendered that they still messed up, I'll show you how that surrender brings them right back and puts them right back on the right path. Now, you want to have some, uh, some success in your Christian life and you want to see God do something in your life to have purpose and reasoning, uh, reasoning, there'll come a time of decision in your life, and I'll show you that in these men's lives tomorrow where they made a decision, and they said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to surrender my life, and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. Preacher, I've heard it all before. Okay, well, good. Doesn't matter to have it repeated. You say, how do you know your message is on target? Because it still hadn't happened. If we had learned the lesson, ladies and gentlemen, we'd be living a surrendered life. But that's the thing that all of us struggle with because we're right here in this prison called the flesh. All right, brother, how about you dismiss us? And Brother Joe, you come on up, if you will, please. Amen. All right. I will take that as a good enough prayer for lunch. I love it. It was wonderful. And so at this point, we'll be dismissed to go to uh, Chow. And uh, of course, uh, afternoon games are at 1.30. You're dismissed. <laughs>